0: Welcome to this Cosmic Reality special show. This is an interview with Dr. Jennifer Daniels with me, Nancy Hopkins, originally recorded April 21st, 2020. It is as as relevant now as it was then. Well worth listening to for the first time or again. Be safe, be blessed, and thank you.
1: For example the doctor who did the renegade video that went viral showing that the, COVID, the ventilators were killing the COVID patients. Yes. Um, he was sitting in a poorly furnished room with out-of-date appliances. This guy was living modestly, and you could tell he was saddled with loans. He was under a lot of stress, and knowing he was killing patients was literally breaking him. It was the
0: last straw. I totally agree. I totally well, I think
1: difficult. seeing the background gave you uh, a lot of context, whereas another doctor who's, uh, you know, doing a video of Dr. Kaufman, you look at his background, like, okay, this doctor is obviously paying his bills, he's in a house, that has got heat, got proper drywall, you know, and then you find his kids are going to private school. Okay, so he, you can see, is closer to the end of his career and actually can afford to take the hit if it happens. So the the background it does it does help. Like if you look at my background, you say, mm, I can see she's probably in the jungle. She is definitely not close to civilization.
0: <laughs> so let's let let, let and you, and you said in our you know when we talked just that brief time, you said you want people to know your story so that they will have hope that things yeah. can get better. So I'm gonna turn it over to you now. You tell them. You give them your story and give them the hope. I'm sitting here with you. I'll ask you a question if it comes up. Every, Is that fair? Every,
1: every now and then. Okay. Um, so things started out, uh, I guess okay in life. I was born healthy to two healthy parents. And then, uh, when I was three, things started going like really wrong. So, uh, I was three years old and, um, I looked up, and there was this crowd I could see outside the front picture window, and they were riding and throwing rocks at the window, and my parents said, go in the back room, you know, hurry, get out of here, don't sit in the room, and of course, they broke the picture window, and so our neighbors were riding and trying to kill us, and... <laughs> Uh, I was three years old. I go, this is not okay. <laughs> and going to the back room and hiding is not an answer. I was not happy with that at all. So, J- Jennifer, uh,
0: what year is this? What, what year would that be?
1: 1960. Okay,
0: 1960. thank you.
1: So uh, everybody called the police. The parents called the police. The rioters called the police because the rioters thought that they were right, that, that, that we should be killed or at least removed. And so the police come, and they knock on the door. I bother. The picture Windows broken out. But anyway, uh parents opened the door and, and the police said, I'm sorry, you know, you, you can't live in this neighborhood. Um, you know, you're just going to have to leave. And my father said, well, uh, you know, we, we, we bought the house. We own the house. He said, uh, really? So uh, dad had the, uh, you know, purchase agreement or whatever uh, deed. And the p- policeman turned to the crowd and said, I'm so sorry. I can't evict them. They own the house. And I was not happy with that response at all. And then... Um, So the local minister uh, for the neighborhood came by to visit, and he opened his Bible and started reading and saying, you know, um, you have to turn the other cheek. And even at three, I knew I only had two cheeks. So that means that, uh, you know, they're going to do this once. And then again, then what about the third time? What are we going to do? This is not an answer. And so the minister reaches out to pat me on the head and there's a cute little kid. My parents had me all dressed up in this beautiful, fluffy dress just for the occasion. And I just turned around and pulled away and walked away I'm like, dude, you got to do better than that. If you want to pat me on the head? So um, at that point, I decided that life was pretty, pretty dangerous. You know, there's dangers out there. And I decided that my parents, uh, adults, were not really up to the task of handling this to my satisfaction. And so our neighbors rioted again when I was uh, five, uh, similar situation. And then when I was six, again, my life was threatened, I felt. They set the house on fire and I was in it. And uh, I, I just felt like this was really bad. This was really bad. And so my parents at this point felt, okay, this is, this is enough. <laughs> so they packed us in the house and they fled across town and rented a, a, a place uh, which was a multiple, it was a house, a, a building, a structure that had many families in it. So we rented a flat, and so we were there for a while. And I said, "Wow, whew, we're safe, okay." And um, I was going to school, and everything was fine. And then one Saturday, my parents decided, "Okay, fine. We've been here a month or so. Things were pretty good. We're gonna go buy furniture. You kids stay here because they had five kids. You couldn't put five kids in the car, two adults, and go shop for furniture." So I said, "Now you guys stay home and you'll know, be good, and we'll be back." You know. So while they were gone. Um, a feud between a boy downstairs and a boy down the street kind of came to a head and a guy down the street set the house on fire. So they came home to find the building burned and all, all of us missing. So they had no idea if we were dead, alive, what it took about two days for them to collect all of us. Cause there were five of us. So they split us up among various homes. The red cross did. So they finally gathered us back together and they said, okay, we're going to try this again. And so they moved to another place. And this time they bought their own house. So the first time we were a black family living in the suburbs And so they said, okay, fine, we're going to move into the ghetto. So they moved in the middle of the ghetto and it was, it was pretty bad. It was, you know, the school around the corner was pretty rough. Uh, Most girls got raped by the time they were 10 years old. Uh, Prostitutes walking up and down the street, obviously drug dealing as well. And uh, there was nothing green really that grew anywhere. So it was pretty bleak, but it was safe. No one tried to kill me. So I said, oh, this is wonderful. (laughs) Relief. (laughs) And so I still realized that my parents did not have all the answers. And I was really focused on becoming independent. And so I started my own business at the age of 10, selling creepy crawlers at school. Of course, it was a ghetto school. So my classmates, when I turned my back, stole all my creepy crawlers crawlers from my desk and pretty much shut down my business. And so um, life kind of hobbled along like this. And so here I was, 10 years old, and already uh, one, two, three, four substantial attempts to kill me had been made, you know. And so I made up my mind that I would never kill anybody. I just wasn't going to do that because I thought that was a bad thing and I didn't feel good when people tried to kill me. So I wasn't going to do it. And then, um, I decided I was 11 years old. That I wanted to, you know, help people. And, um, I was really good in school. I got excellent grades and I liked math and science, uh, probably because of what I falsely felt was the certainty of it. And, um, so I wanted to help people using math and science. So I went to my father and said, Daddy, Daddy, I figured out what I'm going to do. I want to be a nurse. And he said, what? What? Be a doctor. It's just as much work and you're your own boss. I said, oh, OK. <laughs> so that was that. So uh, I continued to get excellent grades in school. Not a problem. And then I um, graduated from high school with all kinds of honors and decorations and awards. It was just it was just uh, phenomenal, amazing. And then I was, of course, admitted to Harvard. And even Harvard recognized, oh, my God, this person is so outstanding. We're going to designate her a Radcliffe National Scholar, one of the 5% most outstanding people we admitted this year. I mean, really, it was like it was no higher honor. So, of course, I was pretty concrete. I'm like, well, where's the money? And they said, what? I said, where's the money? It, it Shouldn't my tuition be free if I'm that valuable? And they said, no, 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 no. It, 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 don't worry about it. I said, hmm. So I was not impressed at all with the honor, although in retrospect, I, I realized I was supposed to be impressed. <laughs> so I worked my way. Uh, the, so the first year at Harvard, I had to work 20 hours a week um, to earn enough money. And I said, and it was minimum wage, which then was a uh, dollar an hour. So I said, this makes no sense. I did not study to, uh and win all these awards, and whatever, to work be a minimum wage employee for Harvard. That's that's not what I signed up for. And I didn't need to go to an admissions committee to get a minimum wage job working for Harvard, right? So um, fortunately, I had done two years of college in high school, and I encountered a medical school admissions person who told me, you are not going to learn anything in college, so don't try. What you're going to do is create the most positive record possible that medical schools will use to admit you. Now, you see all these courses you're taking in high school? We've done these two years of college courses. He said, I said, "Mm mm-hmm. He said, you repeat those. You walk in there and take the lowest level course that will satisfy requirements for your major and requirements for medical school and major in biology, because the biology major requirements overlap 100 percent with medical school requirements and there's no extra work involved. I said, okay, okay. So he gave me all kinds of tips and tricks and everything, which really made Harvard a breeze. I mean, Harvard was not difficult at all, because, again, I just retook the courses I already took in high school. And so I graduated from Harvard with honors, I mean honors. So the first year I worked 20 hours a week. I then sold books door-to-door. I earned so much money uh, that I didn't have to work as much the so next year, and I figured out how to sell books door-to-door. So the second year I did it, I hit the jackpot and was able to pay for Harvard and didn't have to work again. It was then that I found out that Harvard was, had social strata. The kids who had to work all hung together because they had to so much time at the work office, And um, the kids who worked part time, they had a different situation and the ones who had no work at all, which is where I was, had time to spend in the library. So literally you could almost guess a person's GPA by their economic status and how many hours they had to work because they couldn't get the library time. They couldn't get the study time. And then I found, um, you know, all these beautiful and wonderful things at Harvard, like the beautiful glass museum, the this, the that, the the, da, the arboretum. That if you're a kid that's working 20 hours a week, you don't get to see any of that. You might as well have stayed home. So, um, I graduated from Harvard on time with honors. Oh, third year medical school, uh, Harvard. I realized I was gonna be a doctor. It was inevitable. My grades were awesome. They were outstanding. Um, and everything was just, just clicking. And, um, I decided I wanted to find out how I could be the best possible doctor. And so Harvard has this library called the Widener Library, which is one of the best libraries in the world. They have documents that are basically classified, unavailable in other places, but totally open to Harvard students or whoever wants to pay. So if you're not a Harvard student, you have to pay money to use that library. That's how precious it is. So I had a student. So I just walked in. And um, what I did was I looked up how healthcare helps people live longer. And I was devastated to find out there's absolutely no evidence, evidence that access to healthcare, care, health, people live longer. None. Zero. Doctors have no impact on people's longevity or health. And I was like, oh, oh, my God. Well, by this time I was I was pointed in what appeared to be the wrong direction with incredible momentum. And I said, OK, calm down, calm down, calm down. Um, let's look up what does cause people to be healthier. And it was clean water, clean air, clean food, and shelter. That's it. I said, oh, okay, that's simple. Uh, I'm sure they'll mention that in medical school. And so I went on, I applied to medical school, got admitted to 12 different medical schools, 11 or 12 different medical schools, and um, went to University of Pennsylvania School of Medicine because I wanted to go back to the inner city ghetto where I grew up, open a medical practice, and help people get healthy so they could become economically independent. That was my thought. And so uh, I get to medical school, and uh, the first thing they tell us is half of everything they're going to teach us is false, absolutely false, untrue, untrue. But they don't know which half so they're teaching us the whole thing. Now, they keep you in a state of um, constant semi-fatigue, so you don't have a chance to sit back and look at this. But if you're a thinking person, let's say you're in a car, you're trying to get to the grocery store. Uh, it's two miles away. In order to get there, you have to make five turns. What if half of those turns were erroneous? In other words, they told you to turn left when you had to turn right. Would you ever make it to the grocery store? Answers: no. So in other words, if half of everything a doctor has learned is false, then there's no way you could possibly make a correct diagnosis. It's just not possible because making a correct diagnosis is always more than a one-step process. If it was only a one-step process, you'd have a half, 50% chance of getting it right, right? But since it's a two-step process, his chances of getting it right are not even 25%, right? So he's got a pretty high error rate built in. And you enter a 10-step reasoning process for a doctor to make a diagnosis, his chances of being right are 2 to the 10th power, you know, 1 divided by 2 to the 10th power. That is minuscule. That's pretty close to zero. So um, they told us that. And then as if that wasn't enough, I noticed as we were treating patients that nobody was getting better. And so, of course, I went straight to the dean. I said, there's a problem here. I'm going back to the inner city ghetto, and I'm trying to help people get better. And if I give them this stuff that doesn't work, they are not going to result in malpractice. They have other means, and it won't be good. you got to teach me something that works. And so I'm sure this poor guy, this Jewish, middle-aged, white guy, totally secure, he must have been all he could do to not laugh and fall off his seat. <laughs> But he was very polite to me. I really appreciate that. And he said, Jennifer, don't you worry. Next semester, you'll learn all the cures. I said, OK, OK, OK. okay. And I was really serious and diligent. I went to class. And the next semester, it was just as bad. I went right back to Dean. And I said, hey, Dean, I've been paying attention to going to class and no more no cures. What, what, what's up with this? And he said, uh, next semester. And so we went on with this next semester, next semester, next semester thing until the end of the four years. By this time, I had sweaty palms. I'm like, whoa, dude, I need some useful information here. And he could see that I was, you know, really panicky. And he said, well, look, maybe maybe you shouldn't go back to the ghetto. Maybe you should practice someplace else. I said, well, what are you saying? You know, and then when he realized what he said, which is there's no cures anywhere, kid. The best you're going to get out of this is a paycheck. He said, "Wait, uh, uh, um, you know, you know, Jennifer, this is why there's a residency, and so during your residency, you are going to uh, learn all the cures. That's why we have residency. It's okay, 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 okay. All right, thank you. Out the door I was, (laughs) and I graduated. Now, on the way to graduation, I went to Wharton Business School. The reason I did that was I realized that I needed some really sophisticated economic knowledge in order to make a medical practice succeed in the ghetto." Because money was there, but it was, you know, you had to be careful. Uh, because you might not get enough and you had to be frugal, you had to really manage things. Also, selling a bookstore door, I when I sold a bookstore door in the ghetto, I made five times as much as I made in the suburbs. So I knew there was money there. All right, so fast forward to uh, Wharton. So I go to Wharton and they teach us in Wharton that the insurance companies make their profit by not paying the doctor. I was like, oh, oh my God, oh, my God. And they taught us that the insurance companies are trying to cut out the middleman, which is the doctor. And that way the insurance companies reach directly into the patient's pocket and no need to pay any doctor bills. I was like, oh my God, oh my God. Um, so that was, but that was really excellent information because that meant out the gate when I started my own practice, I did not even think about insurance companies.
0: Can you, can you just explain that a little bit? How do they not pay the doctors? It's complicated I found that out
1: when I got into medical practice. So the first thing you do is you tell the doctor you didn't fill the form out right. Okay. Then you tell the doctor he needs pre authorization and then you never give it. Then you um, throw out all the bills that show up on Tuesdays. These are things that actually happened. Actually happened. Um, and the list is endless of different devices, but the bottom line is the doctor doesn't get paid. So any doctor will tell you that at best he gets 30 cents, about 30 cents on a dollar. From insurance companies and it's not getting any better so at any rate uh i learned that in medical and business school which for me was just such an incredible advantage that that one piece of information that i was the middleman and the insurance companies had no plans to pay me i'm sure it must have saved me at least a hundred thousand dollars in running my own medical practice and not going out of business so I graduated, so I went to residency, one-year residency, and I did my residency in the home of the rich and not so famous. That would be Chestnut Hill, Pennsylvania, outside of Philadelphia. I don't know where they live now, but at the time, the Nixon Eisenhowers lived there. I mean, that's how hoity-toity it was. Doctors could not afford to live in that neighborhood. Um, so I went to this hospital, private private hospital, and it was just nothing but carnage and death and maiming and destruction. I was horrified. It was so bad, I actually handed him my letter of resignation. I said, look, I'm not going to be a part of this. <laughs> and the um, doctor, the medical director, who I handed my resignation, I said, well, wait a minute now, uh, we, we don't want you to leave because, uh, quite frankly, you're the, only one, you're the only one working around here. You're doing the work of yourself and all your other colleagues. And I didn't mind that, but I just I just didn't want to kill people, and I wanted to get certified
0: to practice medicine. Can, can, you, can you just be a little bit more explicit into – you you thought that they weren't helping people. That what they were doing? No, was- no. I thought
1: they were killing people, aggressively killing people. It wasn't that I thought if I thought they were just being useless, I could have lived with that. That was not a problem. I could have said, okay, you know, they're not being too effective. And when I get out, I'm going to be more effective. I'm like, no, I will not be a party to murder, because again, from the ghetto, right? So if you're the ghetto, you know that if you're an accessory to murder, you're going to be the fall guy, and I am not going to be left holding the bag. So that was my, uh, that was where I was coming from mentally. But the other kids, they didn't have that ghetto background. You know? So it never occurred to them that someone would tell them to do something deadly, the patient would die and that they would get blamed for it and thrown in jail. That that didn't even cross their mind. Whereas that was at the front of my mind. I'm like, no, mm mm, no, no, no mm no, mm. So a doctor um was had a put a patient on um I actually wrote a book about this. It's uh murder by medicine is no accident. And so uh, this cardiologist um, put a patient on blood thinner. Yep, they still do it today. And the nurse, by accident, gave the, the patient um, eight times the dose. And so in heparin, the therapeutic dose can kill you, and even a little more than that can kill you. So she gave him eight times the dose. So, so pretty much this, this guy was a bit of a goner. We had, we had literally only hours to turn things around. And so I immediately stopped the medicine, went to the room, made sure he wasn't bleeding, checked this, checked that, you know, um, did a blood test, um, sent some orders to the lab. And so it looked like we were, we made it. We've dodged the bullet. The guy was going to make it. And so uh, I go back to write orders to stop the heparin and what to do and how to handle the situation. And the senior um, doctor says to me, what? how dare you stop drugs on my patient? Because I'm I'm just lowly intern, right? I don't have any status. And I said, well, doctor, what would you like to do? He says, I want to continue the drug at this dose. I said, okay. I wrote up the order, handed it to him. He signed it. I handed it to the nurse. And the nurse, this is the same nurse who knew she had given the patient an excessive dose, who knew the patient was if we continued the medicine on, on schedule to go to the morgue. She knew this. Okay. And so I'm like, hey, I didn't sign it. I didn't do it. Doctor signed it, here you go, on you. And so she went to her boss, who was the senior nurse, head nurse, head nurse, and hey, doctor signed it, give the drugs. And the nurse did, the nurse did. And the guy bled, he bled, and he bled, and he bled. And because the hospital didn't want the death on their hands, they had to transfuse from 26 units of blood, and they depleted the reserve blood supply for the city of Philadelphia. So this guy was a dentist. He lived, but he lost eyesight in both of his eyes.
0: So... um, Okay, now, you gave an example, and you've written a book. What was the name of that book again?
1: Murder by Medicine is No Accident. It's on Amazon Kindle.
0: Murder by Medicine is No Accident. And you had enough episodes similar to this that you could exactly. write an entire book about it. And um, that-
1: I only mentioned that one episode in the book, but the book was about other, how the standard of care has developed, why it is necessarily lethal, and why your doctor is not free to deviate from it, and Do- how malpractice mm-hmm. makes things more deadly. So all that is in the book. But I only gave this one example. I mean, there's another example where the doctor was deliberately poisoning a person so that they would require hospitalization. She put him in the hospital, stopped the poison. He miraculously recovered, and she was, of course, the big hero. And then she, whenever she needed money, she would put him back on this drug and put him in the hospital and then discharge him. And this was – she was treating this patient like an ATM machine. Of course, he had insurance. Well, she went on vacation, and she explained the ATM machine to her coverage, and they got it backwards. They put him in the hospital, put him on the poison, and killed him. And so I reviewed that case with the head senior doctor, the medical director of the hospital. I said, this patient should not have died. How did he die? Why did he die? And he had a chart that was, you can imagine, three inches thick, back then paper charts. And so I was explaining the case to the, to the, uh, medical director and he became wide eyed. And, and he's just like, Oh my God. Oh my God. And, and he realized that the patient was being slowly poisoned over time. And she just gave him a bigger dose of poison to put him in the hospital so she could get vacation money and then she, leave him in for four days and get paid and back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And so he had me go get the physician's test reference. We looked up the drug. Sure enough, everything he was experiencing was a side effect of the drug. Then uh, he realized at that point, not only did I know, but I knew that he knew. So then we had a problem here. Was I going to become a loose end that, you know, had to be killed or tied up? Or uh, where do we go from here? So he said to me, well, what do we do? Do you think we should present the case to Grand Rounds and embarrass her? I said, look, you're running the hospital. You do whatever you want. I'm just trying to get out of here. You know, I got no skin in the game here. I, I I don't care. You do what you want. I I don't run this place. You could see him just like ah oh, relief. So this means he didn't have to kill me, and he didn't have to take any action or make any special phone calls. <laughs> I wasn't ratting anybody out. Again, from the ghetto, right? Ghetto, you don't squeal on anyone. Never a snitch. You don't snitch. Even in our family, do not snitch. So my father was a professional criminal, and that was it. You don't snitch. You want to snitch? You leave with the police. So I had a very firm background in do not snitch. So when he asked me what we should do about this doctor who's killing people, obviously, you know, I said, hey, you know, you're in charge, whatever you want to do. I I don't have any experience with this. This is not my field. And so that's another case. But there's just more and more and more and more. And when I handed in my letter of resignation saying I do not want to be a party to this, He said to me, "Okay, here's the deal. You stay here. You keep working. But if you think something is going to be deadly or harmful, you have the right and I will back you up to refuse it, to refuse to do it. And if a a attending physician is rude to you, you have my permission to be rude right back. I said, "Okay, absolutely. Great. I'm fine. And I finished out the year and I got certified. Uh, So the next step and my. So for that was a pretty traumatic experience actually. <laughs> you know that whole year of you know seeing people get killed. I mean, just it was just massive
0: slaughter. And you don't believe this was just because of that one hospital. You believe that this? Oh was... no, 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 no,
1: no, no, no,
0: no. So this is went, prevalent throughout went, the medical profession. Exactly.
1: Exactly. This is typical, and, and that's why people say, "Oh, well, Dr. Daniels, can you name that hospital? Can you name that that doctor?" No, 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 no! You missed the point. You missed the point. It's not a doctor here, a doctor there. It's that this is just what doctors do. This is what hospitals do. That's it. And and so the only decision to make then is, do you want to participate in that, and at what level you want to participate in that. So, um, and that's why I'm I'm. You know, so careful not to mention hospital names or not to mention doctor names because that's really not—you're totally missing it if, if if you're focusing on that. So I okay, said so that was a pretty uh, traumatic year, and just all the people who were killed. I was like, whoa, my goodness! And uh, so I left, and I had the way I paid for medical school with no loans or few loans was I agreed to work in an underserved area in exchange for the government paying for my education. Each year they paid for it, I agreed to work in an underserved area. Now, as soon as I got out of medical school, they they sent me a letter to my address, which I opened, saying that I was in default, and they wanted me to pay them back a quarter of a million dollars because um, they didn't have my contact information and I was not fulfilling my obligation. Like, what? (laughs) You know, how could that be? They sent me a letter to my address. I got it. I opened it, right? So then I call them up and say, hey, here I am. Assign me. If I had a quarter of a million bucks, I wouldn't have signed up for this program. And so then they said, well, you know, I'm sorry. We can't We can't take you out of default. We just want the money. And so here was the government basically changing the rules. It's Like, oh, no, we don't want you to work in an underserved area. We want you to pay us a quarter of a million dollars.
0: Now, was this a typical thing they did, or were they after you because you had been reported as a, a person – that was not going to play the game.
1: Um. Honestly, to be absolutely, totally, completely honest with you, I think this is just what they did. I. But so I don't, they, I don't they may I don't have know. they
0: may have done that to other people.
1: Right. I don't. I didn't have any information. As far as I was concerned, I was playing the game. Hey, did I rat the the, the doctor out? No. I told the attendant. The, I told the senior doctor of the hospital. Do what you want with her. You know, punish her. Don't punish her. You don't even need to mention this to her. You know, it's up to you. I mean, I never wrote a position paper, a letter to the editor. I mean, I never mentioned anything to anybody. I mean, like I said, my ghetto background, no snitching, no snitch. So, don't so, a- so you, were
0: not, you were not out there looking for problems. You were just finding them and then observing them, recording them in your mind, but not trying to make changes because you just wanted to get out of there.
1: And get certified to practice medicine. I need Correct. A piece of paper, Correct. Yeah. Exactly.
0: Yeah. And okay. so, uh
1: yeah, I'm still here thinking of even more deaths, more deaths. I mean, we can take up the whole two hours
0: just me <laughs> to each death. No, let's go on. This is just. But anyway, just you know, oh, thank you. Uh,
1: so, I had to contact the Republican senator for the state of Pennsylvania in order to get the federal government to agree to allow me to serve out my time that I owed the government. And I was a staunch Democrat at the time, you know, liberal, blah, 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 whatever. But my Democratic representative, who was also African-American at the time, was absolutely no help, none whatever. But my Republican representative in Pennsylvania, I mean, he did whatever and boom, before you know it, they called me up and said, Dr. Dana, would you like um, Point Barrel, Alaska? I'm like, whoa, I don't know. I didn't even know where it was. But those of you in the audience who know, you're going to just, I'm sure you're rolling over, laughing. So Point Barrow, Alaska, is the northernmost point in Alaska, and it has, I believe, three months a year of no sun. <coughs> I said, no, 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 no. So I have a list, and I ended up in Hayward, Wisconsin, um, and then uh, North Dakota. And I real so we were told in medical school that everything was ineffective because our patients were stupid, couldn't read our instructions, couldn't understand if they could read. And um, we're not compliant. So I said, okay, fine. I'm the medical director uh, on this in, in, in Indian reservation. I'm going to solve all those problems, and I did. The pharmacy, ten steps from my, from my office. Um, so um, everyone got written instructions, and everyone got at least one relative who was literate that was contacted, who went over everything with them, and made sure they took their drugs and everything. So, so we had. We covered all those bases. Still, nobody got better. There was absolutely no improvement. And there were even drugs identified, like blood pressure drugs, that had absolutely zero effect on the blood pressure. Blood pressure just randomly went up and down, no matter what the dosage was. So uh, that deepened my concern. Meanwhile, though, I became pregnant. And I got dreadfully ill. And I said, you know what? I've always wanted to become vegetarian. And uh, I didn't do it in medical school because they told me that it was deadly and I would kill myself. So I said, I can see I'm going to die anyway, so might as well be vegetarian for the last few hours of my life. So I became vegetarian, and boom, in 10 hours I was all better. So I said, huh, not a bad, not a bad thing. So I stuck with that, and then I uh, finished my obligation. I went to Syracuse, New York, went back to the very same ghetto where I grew up. I had to do at that time times had changed, so you had to do three years of training, not just one, in order to practice. So you could have a license, but you couldn't really use it. So I got, I did two more years of training. I purchased a city block in the middle of the ghetto. Real estate was cheap, and built a medical office building and started practicing medicine. And um, I remained vegetarian. And man, I felt just great. And I had a healthy baby. And I got pregnant with my second baby, had another healthy baby. Um, but the delivery was 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 very traumatic. I had a C-section, complications of the C-section in the hospital, sixteen days. But I pulled myself together, started my medical practice. And I um, was doing everything by the book, as far as I knew, and avoiding things that I knew to be dangerous. And at the end of two years, I had about uh, maybe four or five people who had died. And I said, hmm, I'm going to go over those charts, and I'm going to review those charts, and I'm going to see if I can do a better job, and if I can, you know, prevent deaths in the future. I went over the five charts. So five is not a big number, but it is five. And every single person without exception... Was taking medications, prescription medications. They were totally compliant. They kept their appointments. And they were the ones dying. Not a single non compliant patient died. Not a single person who missed their appointments, didn't get their prescriptions filled. Not a single one of them died. And I said, oh my God, could what I was taught in medical school actually be? Inherently lethal. Now these patients who died, they they weren't just compliant. Oh no, no, no! I had taken extra care to be sure that their care was perfect. I had something to the specialist to get the specialist opinion to make sure they were on the best level of everything. And so uh, that really shook me up. I was really shaken up by that, and uh, I decided then, and I was earning very good money by now, right? Because I'd figured out the pay, the patients got the money, the insurance company doesn't, and you know. Everything figured out, and you come to my office, we see you on time. If you get here early, guess what? We might even see you early. So, I had a wonderful practice, and people paid me, and it was great. And I was earning um, at least three times what a family practice doctor was earning, say, working for HMO. So, how do you just walk away from that? And I said, okay, fine, here's what I'm going to do I'm going to give everybody a choice. They can either, I'm going to tell them they can either do the standard of care, they can do nothing. Uh, They can change your diet, blah, blah, blah. But this time I was still vegetarian, even vegan. And I had a lot of experience with kind of healthy eating, lifestyle changes and counseling people and also developing tasty recipes. So it was easy for me to do. So when I did that and gave people a choice, the death rate in the medical practice went to zero. Zero, not a single death. Um, And that was even more. I mean, of course, it was encouraging. Absolutely. I was happy to see better outcomes. But I knew immediately when I knew that I had been trained to kill and that I was supposed to kill. And if I didn't kill at a proper uh, amount, that I would soon be found out. And so I I became uh, fearful, actually. But what happened, though, was since I wasn't prescribing deadly drugs, people weren't having side effects for me to treat, which was great. So that meant I slept through the night. I didn't get any emergency calls because I wasn't creating any emergencies. And that's what people are going to see now, that the hospitals are closed and not doing elective stuff. Emergency rooms are empty because in order to fill a hospital emergency room, the doctors have to prescribe the stuff that makes people sick enough to have the emergency. And that connection, if anyone cares to look at it, will
0: become obvious. So oh, I didn't oh, have we have, we have. We have to make that point. Okay. So what's happening is that the drugs that are being prescribed to people uh-huh. create symptoms that create crisis that brings them to the hospital that they make their money. And Correct. because people can't get to the doctors to get these newfangled prescriptions they're mm-hmm. not going into crisis and so therefore right. you have hospitals closing because they don't have sick people because they're not right. prescribing drugs right thank right. you doctor
1: okay So that's an important connection because that's what's going to come out of this if anyone care to go back and look at the real-time data. So the real-time data is now being collected. And I would encourage anyone to go to um, CDC coronavirus monitoring, where they go over um, the deaths and what they're caused from. And, you know, you might want to take screenshots. They might go back and doctor that and wipe it out or make it inaccessible. Okay. So uh, because I was not prescribing um, deadly hazardous crap during the daytime, I was able to sleep at night. So literally, I had a dream situation. Solo practice doctor, I took my own call, and I might have gotten one call after, I mean, after hours in a month, maybe. And I might have had one patient every three months that goes to the hospital instead of the usual five patients a month for an average family practice doctor. You get at least five admissions a month. So it was so bad that the hospital called me to say, where are you sending your patients? We're prepared to bribe you to send your patients to our hospital only. And of course I gave the wrong answer. I said, Oh my God, you don't have to pay me. I, I love your hospital. I am sending all my patients to your hospital. I would never use another hospital. I think your hospital is great. And The person on the other end said, Oh, click and hung up on me. Then, um, I got a phone call from the vice president of the local HMO. And he said, Dr. Daniels, we have a problem. I said, we? We have a problem? He said, yes, we have a problem. I said, well, what what, what might that be? He says, well, we have sent you a contract to sign to be a participant in our HMO. I said, yeah, that's right. I remember. You have not signed it." So, Yeah, that's true. He says, we are losing some very large contracts because you are not a physician member of our panel. I'm going to send a courier to your office and I want you to sign that contract. And I said, well, uh, 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 you know, I haven't signed that contract because there's a clause in there that says. I have to see your patients for up to a year without pay. As long as those patients are paying you their premiums. And that you can elect to stop paying me for a year anytime you want. And I said, I am not in a financial position right now to extend that kind of credit to you. The guy was so mad. Boom, click, hung the phone up. So did you understand that conversation?
0: Uh, uh, Yes. Okay. I think. Let's do it again. (laughs) Because, I mean, I'm like... Oh it's my stunning. God. It's, stunning. it's, 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 stunning. it's shocking. It's absolutely shocking. So th- okay, they're, they're going to get, let me, let me, let me see if I got it. Okay. So they're giving you the opportunity to work as a doctor in an HMO organization. Uh-huh. But to get there, you have to spend a year.
1: No, 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 no. You're totally confused. Okay. 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 I'm a private doctor in my private office. I am paying the property taxes. I am paying the mortgage. I am paying the life. I am paying the receptionist. They want the privilege of sending their patients to my office and not paying me.
0: Okay, so it's you know it's as so, long it's as so, those patients it,
1: have paid them.
0: I'm having I'm having a, a, a you know a mental breakdown here. I, I, this is not not computing, not computing. Okay, so
1: let me help you. Your problem is you don't have an MBA and you haven't specialized in insurance and you're not a politician. I get that. I get that. I'm so just the average know.
0: person. <laughs>
1: I know. So let me fill this in for you. Okay. So you have insurance companies and insurance company promises is that if you, the, you, the common person pays a certain amount of money every month, then they're going to guarantee that your medical bills will be paid. Is that that's loosely the promise. Right. Okay. Well, every now and then it's a catastrophic bill that can come along. Right. and, So the insurance company needs to have a big pile of money in reserve to handle those infrequent but expensive times. Does that make sense?
0: Yes, yes. Go on.
1: Okay. (laughs) So you have an insurance agency in the state. Every state has its own insurance agency that makes sure that financially irresponsible companies that don't have reserves are not allowed to just hang up a shingle, say we're an insurance company, and collect premiums and not... Provide
0: the service, right? And that's why we trust them.
1: No, 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 don't don't add anything. Just just let me know because this yes, is get, yes, yes, this, okay, it's going to get even more wild. Okay, so you've got to follow this thought narrowly. You can't add anything to it because this is going to blow your mind. Okay, so what the insurance company in New York State said, insurance commission, oh, we know this HMO that is providing care and collecting premiums does not have enough money to pay all the premiums. So we have to have each doctor agree to indemnify the insurance company for a year's worth of care. So So rather than have the insurance uh, company have deep pockets, I am, I become one of the insurance company's pockets.
0: So you're lending them money essentially and and keeping them solvent.
1: Correct. But wait, Lend? Was there a payback clause in my contract? Did it say that they would pay me for those uh, unpaid care at some later date? No, it didn't. It said I would provide the care at no charge. In other words, at no point would I be compensated.
0: It's a gift. And the incentive for you to do this is what?
1: Exactly. The incentive for me to do that is um, that I didn't go to business school, that I didn't read the fine print, and I didn't understand what I just explained to you.
0: Okay, so most people would have done what I did. What did you just say? Okay, where do I sign?
1: Exactly. Got it. <laughs> that's Got what doctors do. And an insurance company, they can, they can fleece a doctor out of at least, in a month, $20,000, and that's a low number. So they had other shell games they played that your money as a doctor, it would be gone in a blink. Your bank account's empty. You don't even know what happened. So because I went to business school, (laughs) I understood indemnify and hold harmless, and I understood all these little clauses and things and terms and whatever. So I I wasn't going to sign that contract, but I was not sophisticated enough. Uh, I was not a politician. I should have said to the guy on the other end, "Look, let's work something out here. How about we just strike that one little clause, and I can sign the contract? Or how? You know, you know, let's 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 work this out." And all, see, the thing is, me not signing was standing in the way of millions of dollars of revenue. Unbeknownst to me, I had a multi millionaire client worth mega millions who owned a chain of thirty McDonald's. And he would not allow any of his employees to access an insurance that would not pay me.
0: So this was one of your clients that you had already?
1: Even worse, it was his wife. And she showed up in my office. And at the end of the visit, she just flashed her insurance card and said, no, the insurance card will cover it. And we said, well, you know, we're really happy you have that insurance. It's really responsible of you to have it. And that's kind of nice, but um, you, you'll have to pay. And so she had to use a credit card to pay for our office visit. And she went home and she ripped her husband a new one. Oh my God. Oh, oh. It must've been brutal, all I can say. So he went down to the human services and said, this is the law. If it won't pay Dr. Daniels, then we're not offering it. And that just turned the whole Syracuse insurance industry upside down. I even had a um, insurance broker who told me he could no longer feed his family because I would not sign up for various insurance plans. It's just insane. Yeah. And so uh so now I had basically menacing calls from we're gathering a uh a group of menacing people, right? I was making well I mean, enemies or people who didn't like me, maybe you could say. Okay. And so the, the list got longer and longer and longer. So of course I'm living in the ghetto. I mean it's a ghetto, right? There's guns, there's gunfire, bullets, people get killed, these things happen. And so um The body count was like, I don't know, 17 people? I said, this is ridiculous. I got little kids. We can't be on these bullets flying around. And I did a walking tour of the neighborhood to find out what the story was. And so I realized that we had a drug problem. And, you know, there was drug-related shootings. I said, okay, fine. So I start, and then I looked into the, the coding laws and blah, 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 blah. Long story short, all I had to do was get the government to enforce the coding, the coding laws. We didn't even touch the drug laws. Just the building code laws. And I got... um. Three drug dens, four drug dens demolished, demolished, boom, gone. And one of them, I built my home on the spot of the demolished drug den. Well, that was people like, oh, man, don't mess with Dr. Daniels. Oh, my God. (laughs) So um, the death rate from gunfire and homicide in the neighborhood went to zero. No more murder. So then um uh, you know it just went on and on the things i I was constantly doing uh different different things um there was t- there was a big so, uh, med- so let me and- let me
0: let me just stop you for a sec, so you began to You understood enough about business, and now you're beginning to understand enough about how politics are working. But you're Mm -hmm. using the system to make the changes, correct? You're not working outside the system.
1: No, 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 no. I'm calling up my lawyer and saying, look, we got a problem here. What's it going to take? Take care of it. He says, Jen, Jen, I, I I could charge you a few thousand dollars but you'd have no legal standing. Legal standing? What do you mean legal standing? I'm standing up. No, Jen, it's legal standing. And so <laughs> I got a real, you know, education, but I found out what the law was. Like, Who does have legal standing? Let's go to them. Let's get them to do this, da-da-da-da-da-da. And so um, there was a bank merger. A mega bank was gonna come in and buy up a community credit union, basically, and stop making little itty-bitty loans to people in the neighborhood. And so um, I, you know, threw my hat in the ring, so to speak, contacted the um, Federal Reserve of New York. The merger was halted. It was halted. Um, then we had meetings, you know, to discuss, you know, what is it the bank should do. And I almost God, I felt like I was a member of some kind of resistance in one of these uh, uh, budget movies, you know, where you have this ragtag team of people in the Middle East um, where they're all covered up and going to secret places in the evening like caves to have meetings. It was ridiculous. Each meeting was in a more remote place, down an alley, off this way, up these stairs. And I was pregnant, too. Oh, my God. Can't you guys just have your meetings in a civil place? What's going on here? I mean, it's like we were running from something. Well, I had no idea how bad it really was. Uh, I got so bad that the bank investigated every single person on the community group. And harass their employer, their spouse, their boyfriend, whoever had a loan, and called them up and threatened to make their loan due and payable immediately unless that person voted in favor of the merger. So I was the only one didn't have a boyfriend or a spouse <laughs> or a, a loan that I couldn't pay off right now. So... Everyone was intimidated and we had this meeting. Um, well, first of all, they sent a courier around to everyone's place of business or home with the agreement that they want us to approve at that evening's meeting. And the agreement said we, the bank, will continue to deny loans at our at our leisure. And so I came to the meeting. I said, what? Are you crazy? Oh, I'm not voting for this. And I was pregnant, too. I mean, I really just just threw a fit and everyone looked at me like, oh, my God. And they were thinking, like, what are we going to tell our relatives? How can we tell them that, that they're not going to be able to pay their loans? Oh, my goodness, I hope that, that the hammer doesn't fall. That's what they were thinking. And I was like, oh, isn't anybody with me? Well, what's the matter? <laughs> I am worse than farting in church. So the leader said, okay, well, uh, we're out of here. This is it. We're, the meeting's over. We're, we're not even going to vote. And so what I didn't know was the Federal Reserve said that the vote had to be unanimous. So then we had another meeting, and this time the, the bank – Um, again, since the courier around, and they gave in to absolutely all of our demands, everything. And then I showed up at the meeting and signed and that was it. Well, this made national news. The wall street journal flew a reporter in to cover the story. And you know, that's, uh, they talked to everybody involved and and it was a front page story in the wall street journal. It was amazing. It's February of 1991 or 92. But at any rate, um, I said, huh? They didn't even mention me in the story. Oh well, no problem. I just went on practicing medicine. Then I get a call from Wall Street Journal saying, "Hey, we got to do a story on you." I said, "Really? Did you ask for permission? Are you sure it's okay?" And yeah, 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 yeah. So then they did a story on me. But uh, meanwhile, there was another issue in the neighborhood brewing. Um, a local set of developers basically wanted to borrow thirty million dollars for their private use and have the public pay it back uh, over fifteen years period of time, pay back three times what was borrowed. No, I'm sorry, 50% what was borrowed over a 15-year period. And I said, well, this does not sound like a good deal to me. (laughs) I think you guys, you know, go get a job, if you need some money, or do something else, you know. But, you know, my poor neighborhood cannot afford to have its property taxes increased just so you can have some $30 million to work with. So I looked into it further over time and realized it was actually a bank robbery, that they didn't even have any collateral, and they had lied to the bank. So stupid me. I alerted the politicians and authorities so they could just, you know, just just say, hey, we're not going to do this. Uh, 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 uh. They said, oh, Dr. Dan, you just practice medicine. Forget that. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I know a bank robbery when I see one. $30 million signature loan with no collateral. Who's paying that back? Huh, huh, huh. So I contacted the bank and the bank um, said, holy cow, this can't be true. They flew bankers, I mean, from headquarters into Syracuse to talk to the mayor and this person that person and they found out there was no collateral and there was no plan to repay it and so the whole thing fell apart and then it came out that the governor was behind it and the governor basically had failed to rob the bank which he had been handsomely bribed to do so I stood in the way of the government performing on a bribe
0: <laughs> boy you like to kick corners nests don't you
1: I had no idea Oh, talk about stupid <laughs>
0: Well, you're being led. You're being led to you know, uncover this crap.
1: Well, whatever. All I'm saying is people say, oh, Dr. Danage, you know, you think you're so bright. No, I don't. If I was bright, you know, I wouldn't have done a lot of things. So a lot of things I do know at this point in my life are from experience. So um, a, a series of events set into motion, and the upshot of the whole deal was um, my license was suspended. I was put on two do not employ lists and the terrorist list. And Um, you can imagine, I I couldn't believe it. You were put
0: on the terrorist list, the no-fly terrorist list? Uh, Yeah, that one.
1: So I said, well, this can't be a mistake. I mean, surely. And then I realized, no, 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 Jennifer, you're the one that made a mistake. Jennifer, you're the one that misapprehended. You're the one that didn't understand. See, as long as you blame other people, you never get anywhere. When I realized I was the problem, I was the one. That was stupid. I was the one that didn't understand. I was the one that didn't realize the healthcare system was just there to kill people and to spy on them. And so the medical records could be made available to the government. I was the one who didn't understand. It wasn't the system's fault. It was me. I, I, I was the one trying to play tennis on a football field. Well, you know, you're going to get tackled, right? It's not going to work. So that's really my assessment of what happened. But uh so I... Depleted my savings over the whole legal stuff that ensued. I depleted my savings trying to feed my children um, for the following um, eight years with no income. I had a friend, you know, it was really nice, gave me a little job that I lasted six months at. And then the government issued the the do not employ thing and then they had to let me go.
0: Um, what do you mean they? The government issued not a, a cease and desist from employing you.
1: That would be one way of looking at. it. But what happened was, it took them a while after they took my my license to decide I should not be employed at all. So they, first they took my license, and then a year later they came up with this bright idea that I should not work at all anywhere in the United States. At any job. No, I just couldn't work at any government job. It's like, oh, okay, no problem. It's not a government jobs. Uh-uh, uh-uh. I can't work at any company that has a government for an, uh, a customer. So if the government is a customer, so the government buys a shovel from that hardware store, then I cannot work at that hardware store even as a janitor sweeping the floor.
0: Whoa.
1: Right. So that's a lot of jobs. So, um, I was working, teaching, um, High school dropouts, how to pass the high school equival- equivalency exam. That was my job. <laughs> so, uh, so now here I was back at home, again, depleting my savings, uh, supporting my kids. And finally, uh, in 08, I just woke up one day. I guess we were 07. I woke up one day and said, I gotta get out of here. How do I get out of here? How do I get out of here? And then I said, stupid, buy a ticket. <laughs> So then I went to Austria for a week to see if I want to go there. One of my, patients, one of my friends recommended Austria. Um, no, Austria didn't work out. People said, you know, it's a really nice place, but you just as long as you don't let the government know what you're doing, you can pretty much do anything you want. I'm like, uh, no, I've been there before. We're not doing that. Uh, so Austria's off the list. Then I went to St. Lucia. St. Lucia, everybody's unhappy. Why? I don't know. But I felt like I had more than enough unhappiness all by myself. I didn't need to go to a country that was unhappy. Then there was Jamaica. Jamaica was very welcoming, but in Jamaica they robbed the um, tourists at the airport, so that was a little dicey for me. Then um, I'd been to the Bahamas vacationing, but I didn't want to go there. It was that was a little bit too rough for me. And someone mentioned uh, Panama. I said, "Hey, come to Panama." And so I went to Panama, and um, that person was in a part of Panama that was very cold and humid. And I said, oh, it's too cold here. I can't, I can't. This is not going to work. But people in Panama, oh, my God, they were super nice. The currency was the dollar. People drove on the right side of the road. The time zone was not too bad. So then I went back to the United States. Still, I had to find a place to go. And I happened to go to a fasting center in um, California. And one of their clients who went there happened to be living in Panama, an American living in Panama. She says, oh, you went to the wrong part. I have a condo. It's on the beach. And why don't you just go stay in my condo for a few days, see how you like it. I'll leave the keys at the desk. Just let me know when you're going to come. I'm like, oh, my God, this is like, even the Americans are friendly. So, uh, I took her up on it. I went there, I went to that part of Panama, and I said, okay, this is it. I'm going to go to Panama. And so then I bought a one-way ticket to Panama and just, uh, Got started. I mean, it was. I mean, I didn't know anyone except her, and someone else had recommended a lawyer to me. And I had no money, so I couldn't afford any of the many options for purchasing a residency uh, visa. So I had to be a a tourist, kind of like a wetback, really, um, for about five years. Ultimately, married my husband, and he um, just added me onto his visa, permanent visa, as a dependent. And then when he died, um, my visa, you know, persisted. So, you know, I had that that permanent thing. But I showed up in Panama, and there's a uh, speech barrier. My only Spanish was the word hola. There's a cultural barrier. I totally did not understand the culture at all. And um, just the way the houses were designed, the way they did things, everything is different. And, of course, I had no no money. So because I had no money, I lived in the... uh, you know, Panamanian inner city area, you know, with the rent that I could afford, which at the time was 150 bucks a month. But I was able to lower my cost of living. Um, and before I left the States, these two guys, they're so cute. They come to my office, bang on the door. My office is, I'm, I'm out of business, right? But I, I don't know why, I just decided I have it. I show up every day. Bang on the door and they say, hi, hey, we're here. We're here to help you. We've been reading about you. We're going to help. I said, Really? He said, yeah, give us $3,000. I said, well, what, what are you going to do? So We're going to put you online. It's the future, the way of the future. We're going to put you online, and you're going to sell. What do you got to sell? Vitality capsules. You're going to sell Vitality capsules online, and that's it. You're out of here. You're going to be able to take care of yourself, and you don't have to worry about any of these bad people. I said, really? Oh, that's interesting. So I gave them $3,000. Cheaper than a lawyer, right? And they kept their they put They put the website up online, everything, got it going, collecting money, bam. And so, because of that, um, from the sale of Vitality capsules, I was making anywhere from zero to a $1,000 a month, depending on the month. And so, that little bit was enough for me to get by in Panama, because, again, my rent was only 150 a month, food was about one-fourth to one-tenth the price of food in the U.S., and, you know, things were, I just didn't have a lot of bills, so... Uh, first, my first bright idea was people to come down to Panama to heal. Uh, the problem was the marketing wasn't in place. And so that didn't work. Then the Panama government was very generous. Oh, you can open an office here. So, oh, okay, open an office. And the problem with that was, uh, the overhead situation. And then the way that I expected an American to work, the Panamanians just weren't, just didn't do that. They, they did as much work in eight hours as an American might do in 30 minutes. So even though the pay was $2.50 an hour, the actual hourly rate in terms of productivity was astronomical. It was just unaffordable. So I had to, so I finally figured out the office is costing me $1,000 in overhead. The internet's producing $1,000 in overhead. Shut down the office and keep the internet revenue. And so I made that decision and that was a a big decision. Then... um, I just stumbled around, found my way online, and ultimately was able to, uh, you know, support myself. And now, oh, what finally happened. Was I, so I was sitting, I'm, I'm going online, trying to find ways to uh, get more sales. And so, of course, the deficiency is marketing. So I go and meet uh, marketers online or try and find marketers online. And so this one marketer is really an awesome marketer. And he says, I'm going to be going to Panama. I'm like, oh, my God, I hope I meet him. And so I met him. And um, he agreed to do a joint launch of my report, the Candida Cleaner, which tells people how to use uh, turpentine to heal. And the report was an awesome success. Uh, it sold $35,000 in one week. But it was a report. So that means it's the Internet, it's a report, it's a PDF. So it got stolen, ripped off, blah, 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 spread everywhere. So I could no longer sell it because everyone could get it for free. But what I didn't say about my medical practice was I got so disenchanted with When I was taught in medical school, I really explored other things. I had my um, third baby at home, so I became really good at home birth. I um, discovered turpentine and started healing all kinds of incurable stuff with turpentine. Um, And so there are a lot of things that happened during the course of my medical practice in terms of me educating myself on natural healing and finding just amazing cures for stuff that we were told in medical school were incurable. So we launched the... uh, the report and that was it from then on uh i then i started a radio show and so now with the sales of vitality capsules and the um you know discovery sessions or appointments i'm able to hold things together uh, what, what, what's
0: what's your uh website
1: Vitalitycapsules.com.
0: Vitalitycapsulesplural.com. vitality capsules com.
1: exactly so along the way, oh, God, so much happened along the way. So once I left the United States, I said, okay, I'm leaving everything behind. I'm approaching life now with absolutely no assumptions. I'm going to just see what I see, accept the information, look into things, and and not be intimidated. Whereas as a doctor, you only look so far. You're like, "Mm, I don't want to look any further because it might be information I'm not allowed to use. And so you actually censure yourself that you're only going to go so far, only so far, only so far. So now I didn't have any limitation. I didn't have a license. I didn't, I didn't, didn't matter. So now I started looking up uh, Murder by Medicine. So Gary Null wrote a book, Death by Medicine. And, and so he estimated about 800,000 people a year are killed by medical doctors. And I took a look at that. I looked at his numbers. and I'm like, hmm, I think they're a little low. And so I did more digging by myself, and I actually got up over a million, which is, in other words, half of the deaths in the United States are because of the medical therapy the person receives. In other words, had the person not had access to medical care, they would have lived longer. And that's what we're going to see. We're already seeing it in the shutdown. The year-to-year death rate compared to 2020 to 2019, deaths are down 35%. 35% 35% reduction in deaths.
0: Now, my understanding is that in some cases it's, it's even more than that. But now, is oh, that... I'm,
1: oh, wait. I'm just using the CDC figures, okay? So that's another policy I have. Well, no, my, qu- my not- question
0: about those numbers yeah. are, is that from, I mean, because one of the reasons they say it's down is because people aren't getting accidents. Are you talking about correct, correct. S- people it's that are going in for something other than accidents? Is that you're getting that figure, or is it the total? Uh,
1: okay, so you made a, a big assumption there. So let's unravel kind of few of your assumptions, even your question. Do you know that car accident victims, if they did not receive care, forty percent of them would would live? So, in other words, even the car accident deaths, forty percent of those are due to the medical care the person
0: receives. Well, oddly yeah. enough, as I was saying it to you, I'm going like. Oh, my God, that doesn't take them out of the equation because they could get. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. Okay, yeah.
1: Okay. But you're asking me about the 60% where the car really did kill them, right? Yeah. So, yes, there. and this needs to be examined. Somebody needs to demand that this be examined, or not by the government. Forget them. But some private citizen needs to take it upon himself to look at how people really died. And what they're going to see. Is they're going to see that 45% reduction, or 35% reduction. And you're right, I think it's going to be more. And I think this is uh, April. If, when we get the figures for May, if it's still in lockdown, we're going to see those figures drop to 50% or even less. Because the medical related deaths are now wiped out because you're not getting the routine medical care, which is what's killing people. Also, the cars. But cars only kill 50,000 people a year, and that's a high estimate, by the way. So only 5,000 of the monthly deaths can be laid to uh, lack of driving. In fact, yeah, less than that. 48,000 deaths a year from car accidents divided by 12. So it's 4,000 a month. Only 4,000 deaths a month can be attributed to the car accidents. The rest, you'll see cancer deaths are down, heart attack deaths are down, and biggie, accidents are down. You say, well, doctor, isn't that car accidents? Mm-mm-mm-mm. They have a whole new category called accidents. And if you will look at accidents in the United States, it has shot up it, it, astronomically. It's climbing. It's, it's getting ahead of all the other deaths. Why is that? And diabetics, did you know diabetics are accident prone? They're dying from accidents in heart, huge numbers. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, my God, these diabetics, what are they doing, standing on banana peels and uh, slipping and breaking their necks? So I looked it up. When a diabetic takes an insulin dose that his doctor instructed him to take, and he dies, it's classified as an accident. Accidental overdose? No. Accident. That's Accidental overdose is another category for suicide. What I'm trying to explain to you is, is the medical industrial complex is concealing its homicides, concealing its murders, in that category called accidents.
0: Well, you're just full of information. <laughs> you, you know, I'm sitting. I'm, I'm sitting here, and I have a sister that's an RN, mm-hmm. and she would not. She she would go into self destruct in the first fifteen minutes of what you started to say. By now,
1: no, she can't listen to this and keep her no, job. No, no, she would have to go quit because it would just it would because it, then she would have to confront herself. Exactly. with observations that she's seen over the years. And I tell people like, you know, doctors, nurses, whoever, really be kind to yourself, okay? And it's not like I knew going into what was going on. It's just that because of my childhood experiences of people trying to kill me all the time and because of my background of growing up in a ghetto where you don't rat anybody out and growing up in a ghetto where everyone tries to make you the fall guy, I went into medicine with the attitude, I'm not killing anyone, I ain't no one's fall guy, I'm not holding the bag, I ain't ratting anybody out. So I went into it with that attitude, which that allowed me to see evil, damage, danger, and not take it personally. And it allowed me to say, I'm going to position myself so I'm not killing anybody. I can't change the system, but I can position myself so I'm not killing anybody. And so that's why I went into private practice.
0: But you could at least see the system. They can't see it as a system. When I tried to explain anything to her regarding medicine, she knows more than I do. And how dare I call these doctors and nurses, you know.
1: Right, and the problem is because you actually don't know. You actually are ignorant.
0: Let me tell you what your ignorance is. First of all, you don't know the
1: terminology. I'll give you the terminology. The terminology is standard of care. So if you told her that the standard of care, she knows what that is. standard of care is a series of testing and drug prescription and surgery that doctors have to adhere to to keep their license. So if you told her the standard of care, then immediately in her mind it clicks. Recipe, gotta follow it. Uh, uh. Okay. Then you tell her that that recipe is intrinsically deadly. Then she would say, wait a minute. But when you tell her this doctor's bad, that doctor's bad, blah, 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 the system's no, bad. No, I don't
0: even, I don't oh. do that because I don't believe that. See, in other words, I was giving a free pass to the doctors and nurses <laughs> because I knew what the system could do. But what you're saying to me is that they're doing this stuff in a, such an obvious way that right. the reason that she goes off on me is that in her heart of heart she knows what I'm saying.
1: Correct, and, and it would reflect on her opinion of herself.
0: Correct. Okay. Yeah, that's what I figured. But you no know, I, I I just kept saying that I, I don't know. I don't know how you didn't rat them out, but I understand why you didn't rat them out.
1: Why didn't I I, I, I? I grew up. with My father. My father was a professional criminal, and he committed crimes all the time, and he never got caught. It was my job as a kid to not rat
0: him out. Understood.
1: So I had I had practice in not ratting people out.
0: <laughs> well, thank God, thank God you seeing, did.
1: Yeah, if your first time seeing a crime, a high level crime, is in medical school, and someone says don't rat him out, you're like. Ah! <laughs> Oh, no, 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 no. I, you know, no, 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 no. I, I had a lot of experience. Yeah.
0: Would you like to take a break? We've been at this for an hour and 13 minutes.
1: Um, actually, I'm okay. I okay. Can just, as
0: long as you're good. As long as you're good. Um,
1: so that's how I arrived, um, you know, just emotionally. I think that's how I emotionally got through it intact. And a lot of people are really shocked they're totally shocked. How could you have gotten through this intact? Honestly, if I come from a a regular middle class background, um, either a devoid of evil or b with a total denial of evil in its existence, I would have been just totally floored and shocked. But, you know, you have uh, I guess you could say evil incarnate dad living at home. Uh, doing everything a good dad should do, pay the bills, blah blah blah, you know, take take us for ice cream and take us, you know, to the fair, blah, you know, <laughs> standard father, right? Um, and even dad said, "Look, you can be a criminal or not," and he explained to us how to be a good criminal. He laid it out to you. This is what you gotta do, and how you not how how you avoid getting caught. By you, yeah. And I said, you know, that just a little that's pretty complicated. I think I'm just gonna just go straight. I'm just gonna be honest. He said, "Okay, that's fine." He said, "But you've got to choose. You can't can't waver. When you waver, that's when you get caught." He said, "Okay. All right. I'm not going to waver. I'm going to be straight straight arrow here." So that was good that he was open-minded enough to let us choose what way we wanted to go. If we wanted to you know, be uh, professional criminals, or if we want to go straight, and 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 he was very happy with the civil rights movement. He was oh, elated. He said, "This is it. This is it. That means that we blacks can now get to do the big crimes, the big crimes, the legal ones." And um, and he explained how banks were criminals, and da 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 da. And he he all he wanted was in. He just wanted in. <laughs> And so by the time civil rights came around, he was pretty old. I mean, you I know, mean, thirty something, whatever. And he says, "You know, yeah, my time is pretty much past. But you guys, you got this chance." And I didn't, I didn't realize it. I didn't get it until I graduated from Harvard. And so as I was graduating, my father, oh my God, he was so excited. He was so happy. He was so proud. I mean, he was just. he sat me down. He said, "He said, we've got to talk. We've got to talk." I said, oh, great, Daddy! because he never talked to me because it was like I was just so stupid and so naive and so dumb that just he just couldn't. Talking to me just wasn't a reasonable use of his time. But, but now I had arrived, graduating from Harvard. So we have got to talk. I said, OK, Dad, I'm ready. What are we going to talk about? He says, OK, you're getting into medical school. You're going to be a doctor. I said, yes, 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 yes. He says, you will have a license to kill do not waste it. I said, huh? He said, I said, license to kill, do not waste it. Look, 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 I'm gonna explain it. To explain it to now, I want you to go into surgery. You hear me? Surgery. I said, okay. Sir. I said, well, Dad, I want to be family practice. I said, I, said, I said, surgery. I said, okay, I'm listening, I'm listening. I want you to go to surgery. I want you to amputate. Start the toes. Start with one leg, left leg. Amputate two inches at a time. $10,000 per inch. You hear me? $10,000 per inch. Amputate. When you get through with one leg, start on the other leg. Two inches at a time, $10,000 an inch. Then he sat back and said, you'll be driving a Rolls Royce in no time. He was so proud of himself having laid it out for me like that. And so I said, Daddy, that is so stupid. Who would do that? I'm going into medicine to help people. (gasps) He was horrified. You could see the horror fill his eyes. Oh, my God. He threw his hands up and he yelled for my mother. Her name is Lily, and he calls her Lil. He said, "Lil, Lil, come talk to your daughter." Oh my god! You could see him crumbling, as if everything he had worked for was going down the drain.
0: Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you you lived with a dad yeah. that accepted basically inhumanity as part of his reality and, oh, didn't, absolutely. Question it and uh, yes. didn't question
1: and didn't question it.
0: absolutely yeah. Um do you think that this is a small slice of humanity or do you think that this could be a large slice of humanity?
1: Me my father
0: Th- that kind of, of of reality, you know. I mean, it, re- reality is what you think it is. So your your dad saw no, reality. No, no,
1: no, no. There's objective reality. Objective reality. You have COVID. You go on an event. You're going to die. That's objective. Now you you can you can slice that any way you want. You can say you died of COVID. You can say you died of ventilator. But you're still dead. So there's there. But the question, I think, the question is not, are there people like my father out there? Because depending on. Wh- what they're doing and where they're located in the system, you don't need very many like that to create a, a serious concern for a lot of people, right? Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 5% of people like my father would bring any any uh, country to its knees, I assure you. I mean, he was a serious drain on the system, and he never got caught. So what I'm trying to say is that's not important. It's not important how many people are there like my father. There are people like that.
0: Like it's where many- they are.
1: No, that, where they are, but how many people are willing to cooperate with the situation? Right. So I knew him. I knew what he was. And I made it my business to avoid people like him. And I could spot them. I'm like, "Mm mm-hmm, yep, yep, yep. In fact, they would even meet me and they would say, after a little conversation, they would say, "Um, I'm not even going to talk to you any further because you are not a proper victim for me. And I'm looking for victims. Goodbye. And people have said that to me many times during my life. Interesting. And my father also explained, you know, how to be a criminal, but how not to be a victim. And he was very precise about how not to be a victim. He says there's two things that will make you a victim every single time. One, you want something for nothing. You want something for nothing. You are a prime target for victims and for criminals, and you are gonna get fleeced, and you will never have anything. Something for nothing. That is one. The next thing is you may lie to other people, but if you lie to yourself, it's over. And so those were two firm rules. And I stuck to those because I saw my father. And I did not want to be victimized by someone like my father. I was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> so, so I can't lie to myself. I have got to tell myself the truth. And I can never, ever expect something for nothing. I will always be willing to give something of value for whatever I ask for. And those two things have just made a world of difference. Uh, There have been many criminals, many bad people who've done many bad things to bad other other people, and they said to me, Jennifer, you know what? I'm going to pass you by. Or this one guy, one is a doctor, and he um, sexually harassed people, That's women, women, women doctors. This is what he did. So I had a friend who was a doctor, and I was a doctor. We both had the same job, and we were both exposed to this guy. He sexually harassed her, I mean, mercilessly, mercilessly. <laughs> but me, he talked to me nicely, talked to me respectfully, and he said, you know what, you're a nice person. I want to give you an opportunity to make $10,000 and or, or double your money. And I, I refused the opportunity, but he saw me differently from the way he saw her. And this guy was obviously... Um, as they say, a bad 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 guy, if you want if you believe in good guys and bad guys, it's definitely a bad guy but that was another thing, is people can be bad, but you can arrange your affairs so they're not bad to you or that they pass you by or whatever yeah, so my father's like, you guys it's your life, it's your choice I got no skin in the game, I'm just giving you letting you know what the story is, you do what you want
0: let me ask you something Uh, and you know, I You let me know if you want to talk about it or not. But what is your overview of this uh, COVID-19 situation? And and the reason is because we're getting two different total descriptions of uh, what the virus is. You get people that say you can catch it, and then you get the people that say virus is actually a, a secreted toxin from cells that are under attack. Um, both seem to have information, but I'm like, I don't have the medical background to be able to really pick it apart yet. But can you give us a little bit of more medical, your version of what might be happening, please? I'm telling you my version of what might be happening, but my
1: version of what might be happening um, really comes from having a criminal father. That is just, honest to God, that has been the, the best thing ever happened to me. Um, the other thing, uh, my version of what happened, is I went to medical school. So you have to trace medical school with dad's perspective here so what happened in medical school in 1983 as i was on my way out the doors is oh we have the aids epidemic it's coming um the government's going to tell you what to do do what the government tells you this is terrible it's bad it affects gays it affects uh gay men not gay women it affects gay men and it affects jewish men who take chemotherapy this is what we were told in medical school i kid you not I'm just repeating it and this virus it's characterized by a rash. They show us picture of the rash. It is this rash? No other rash. This rash. Oh, okay, got it. And uh, I said, but wait. Raise my hand. Wrong question. Where's the test for it? Where's the virus? We don't know. We don't know. We're gonna come up with that. Blah 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 blah. So they never uh, really came up with evidence that the HIV virus existed. Never to this day. Never. And so in medical school, we they tell us what constitutes evidence. And it was never produced. Okay, fine. But they had drugs for it. And um, we were told, if you have sex, man, you're going to get it and it's going to kill you. Okay. I embarked on 10 years of celibacy, I want you to know, because I believe the AIDS virus existed. So what I did every year by medical practice is I went and checked how many people died of AIDS every year. The forecast of AIDS deaths never materialized. It never materialized. Okay, just so you know. The next thing that happened, though, with the AIDS death is how contagious is it? As a benchmark, let's use gonorrhea. If you have 10 people tested negative for gonorrhea, one person positive for gonorrhea, that person has sex with all 10. Only six will get infected. Four will not. All right. So with contact, you infect six out of 10, and that's considered contagious. We're going to agree on that. OK. One in 250 Americans test positive for, for AIDS okay we accept that but if I am an HIV or if you're an HIV positive person a woman and you have sex with 3,600 HIV negative men how many of those men will become HIV positive you want to take a guess
0: Uh, no I'm not doing the math I'm just listening (laughs) Okay, oh, the
1: The answer is one. One in 3,600.
0: Whoa, that I would not have guessed.
1: Now, somebody's got to have a definition of zero, okay? What is zero? Zero might be anything less than one in a 1,000, right? Maybe that's zero. Okay. So we have to say that AIDS, based on that data, cannot be sexually transmitted. You with me? Yes. Okay, okay, the light, a little light is shining. Okay, so AIDS is not a sexually transmitted disease. Well then, if you can't even get it by having sex with someone, is it contagious at all? And the answer, of course, is no, it's not contagious. So here we have a disease with well, a virus that's not been identified. It's not contagious. Um, we've been lied to about that, by the way, right? So then the next question is, well, how deadly, uh, Is it? Oh, no. So now I go back. This is 2020. I think the last time I checked was 2015. What does an HIV rash look like? You know what it looks like? Every other rash. Could be mosquito bites, could be uh, lice, could be an allergy rash, could be, could be, could be, could be. So now they've expanded the definition of AIDS to include any and every rash under the sun. All right. But what about the symptoms of the disease? When I left medical school, AIDS was just an immunodeficiency thing. But guess what? They introduced a whole bunch of drugs for AIDS. And around 2004, the gay community sued the drug company successfully because these drugs caused them to be disfigured, depleted their fat layers, caused all kinds of health problems, and they won. But what happened? AIDS was redefined to include the side effects of those drugs as a disease symptom.
0: Wait a minute, wait a minute. So they. So because now the court said that this was a side effect of the d- drugs, they just made it a side effect of the disease?
1: Correct. The medical district complex then went back and redefined the disease to include those side effects that were created by the drugs. Okay. Okay. So now we have a disease called AIDS. So here, here's how it goes. You get screened for AIDS. Somehow you get a test for AIDS. I don't know how you get it, but you get tested. And it's positive. And they tell you, Nancy, you're going to die unless you get therapy. You're like, oh. it, it, And these are all the gruesome symptoms of AIDS. Oh, You take the drugs, and sure enough, those symptoms show up. Oh, my God, I'm so glad I'm taking these drugs because I really do have AIDS, and these symptoms are showing up. But thank God I'm taking this drug that's protecting me. But you don't realize the drug is creating those very symptoms.
0: Okay. <laughs>
1: All right. So now what's the ultimate symptom? Death. Death. And so sure enough, they've done studies. Um, the last one I looked at was the AZT study. And that was in um, 1990, I want to say 1993, they came out, that the ACT had a higher death rate than no treatment.
0: You know, this, I, as we're going through this, I, I keep getting this image of a friend of mine, who supposedly died of AIDS. Correct. And when I went there, I went with um, a a reverend who said he had already been there and visited him. And she said, if you want to say goodbye, he's not going to last longer. So we're we're walking down the hallway of of the hospital, and she said, I just want to tell you that no matter how bad you think it's going to be, it's going to be worse than that. Right. And when I saw him, he was like, somebody from a concentration camp.
1: Exactly, exactly.
0: And you're telling me that the reason he looked like that was because they fed him drugs that did that to him.
1: Correct, correct. But wait, you're, we're, we're, we've got to stay narrowly on the topic here because it gets better.
0: Okay.
1: Yeah. Or worse, depending on how you think of it. <laughs> okay, so now it's 2020. Anyone who's looked at the situation over time, which I have because I was in medical school when the disease was first introduced, We have a contagious disease. It's gonna kill y'all. Take your drugs, save yourself. Okay, so it turns out that we can't find the virus, but you take the drugs and sure enough, you get the disease and you die. Don't take the drug, uh, Magic Johnson. Uh, You don't die and you do just fine. Okay, COVID-19 is exactly the same. It's exactly where we are now. There is no virus. I don't care what you think about viruses. I don't care if they're dead. I don't care if they're alive. In this particular case, They don't exist. That's not what's happening here. What's happening here is a mind game. We have a test that randomly turns positive in healthy people and sick people. It's just random positives. And whoever gets positive on that test, you convince them to take therapy, the ventilator, and that kills them. That's the short story. That's it. That's the whole story. And And they can create the epidemic anytime they want. How do they do that? Well, first, you test. And since the test is a random number generator, the more people you test, the more positives you're going to get. So now you got a bunch of positive tests. Well, uh, the next thing is what if the numbers aren't big enough? Well, now you make them bigger by telling doctors, and Johns Hopkins did this in one day. They told doctors, we want you to report it as COVID positive if anybody sneezes. Well, of course, the t- cases uh, reported that day, I mean, doubled. It's like, ah, we need more social distancing. <laughs> All right. So you control it that way. So you control, you can control the outbreak by changing the criteria you tell the doctors to use. So now they're no longer using a test to diagnose COVID. It's diagnosed on symptoms. So now everyone who has flu like symptoms has COVID. Okay. So now we've, the the epidemic is really going to take off, but even better, what about the deaths? We got a problem with the deaths because see deaths from all causes are down at least 35%. And that's the last time I checked the, um, CDC website. So now you don't have enough dead bodies. So the only way to get dead bodies is to start killing people, the ventilator, or to reclassify pneumonias as COVID, reclassify heart disease as COVID. And now if you look in the medical literature, they're going to say Wuhan reports now show cardiac symptoms as part of COVID. And so that is now the green light to classify chest pain and heart attacks as COVID deaths. And so what we're going to have is uh, a convergence. We're going to have a precipitous decline in deaths from all other causes while we have an increase in deaths from COVID because it's just reclassifying. So this epidemic can get as big as whoever's in charge wants it to be. And they can turn it on and turn it off. So... That's where we are right now.
0: Do you have any information or feelings about the 5G connection to all this?
1: Yes. Okay. Again, I think it's super, super important for us to not draw conclusions that are not supported by the data. Okay? So life expectancy in the United States is getting longer and longer and longer. If you're not taking heroin or crack, then you're good to go. You're going to live longer than your life expectancy is longer. It's increasing. So we can't say that the Internet of Things as it exists today has shortened people's lives. Right. Because people are living longer. We just we have to be honest about that. okay? but what's really going on. So what's the virus got to do with 5G? I won't say the virus, the situation, the hysteria. What I have noticed is in my house, because I'm in a country that is doing the quarantine. I'm noticing a lot of uh, cable trucks going up and down the road to install what? No one's telling me. So putting everybody at home and shutting them down gives clear roads for the massive installation of cable networks. So that is an immediate association, which I have seen. So that is immediate. Now, the other question is, is the radiation through 5G going to be used to interact with the virus to control people, right? Is that, you know, yeah. I don't know, I can't say, but I'm just just going as far as the present data leads. So the present data clearly indicates they're just classifying other deaths, unrelated deaths as COVID, that there is no virus, that there is no threat to the health of people. There is no increase in overall death rate. So since there is no increase in overall death rate, we do not need to look for a cause for increase in overall death rate. Even before the virus hit, even in January and February, of this year in the United States, overall deaths in 2020 were only 96% of what they were same month in 2019. So at no point was there ever evidence that there was increased death in the American population. So if there is no increased death, then we cannot postulate a cause for increased death. Now, there might be a lot of reasons to oppose 5G. But all I'm saying is that has nothing to do with with people being on house arrest. So we're told that we're on house arrest because there's something out there that's dangerous and contagious. You can establish easily from the data that whatever is out there, and we don't even know what it is, because it's not dangerous and it's not contagious.
0: Well, the thing of it is, is that if you take and you sit back and you do a comparison... Of where the real health problems seem to be exhibiting. Whoa, whoa! whoa.
1: What's, a real, what's a real health problem? Because I, I don't, I don't understand. Okay, that. let's
0: let's look at New York, okay. New York City. Okay, right. They have a uh It's it's out of whack. How many people are dying in New York City? Supposedly, exactly. From COVID. They're dying
1: from the ventilator.
0: Yes, yes. And, and I I
1: I to are protesting that. So we've got that taken care of. We know exactly where the deaths are coming from.
0: Yeah, I've I've had that um, young man on. You know, we were talking about earlier. Um, I played the tape on virtually every one of my shows. Right. Um, okay. Now, one of the things that he kept specifying was that to him it was oxygen de- de- being deprived of oxygen. That it was like they couldn't. There wasn't enough oxygen. Now, that is a situation that can be induced by essentially the 5G system. Okay? Mm -hmm. Um, When I first heard it, it was an interesting... uh, My friend Mark Steele, who is a man who was as a kid interested in taking something and making it into a weapon still we don't know this because that's not his personality but because he went into weapons development especially electronics he was able to see 5g equipment on led lights that were being put into the town next to him right to make a long story short he was certified by two judges to be an expert in this entire field Mm. so i'm talking to him on the radio and uh he said to me, I want to tell you a story. He said somebody from the States, military person, he got a contact with him and said, do you have any idea what this piece of equipment is? And showed him pictures of it. And Mark said, yes, in fact, I'm the one that designed that. Now, a long story short, but he basically was at a convention that was talking about the climate tax, the carbon tax, And that the problem is when the smoke goes up the haystack, a haystack, Mm -hmm. the smokestack. And he designed a a piece of equipment that would change the molecular configuration of the smoke so that it would go out and be harmless versus, you know, polluting. And he was completely shot down because nobody wanted to hear that. No, you can't talk about that. So they want the money because that's a whole scam. The carbon tax is a whole other scam. So right. but, but Mark is this thing he called um I'm trying to reactor, and he said that they had taken his design and now have added it to the five g equipment, and what that does is it molecularly changes oxygen so that it can't be taken up by the body. He's telling me this you know months and months ago, and I'm like. Yeah are you kidding me? He said, yeah. He said, I had to tell this poor person that they would put him in an electronic gas chamber and they could gas you all by changing the oxygen, deplete the oxygen so it's no good to you. And when this guy is talking, and of course, uh, Ashley, um, what's her name, Dana Ashley, uh, She she's a 5G activist and she had talked about it, because, you know, if you're in it, you, you hear what, what uh-huh. uh, he had to say about it. So, if you're if you're looking at it from the standpoint of what they're actually seeing as this doctor explained oxygen depravation, de- deprivation then and you know that 5G is 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 so complicated what they call 5G but this kill stuff that they've actually can do electronically to us um if you've got that in in an area like New York and we know that New York was a guinea pig for a lot of the 5G stuff it's been 5G for a long time. They just don't talk about it. So if you've got a situation where you're continually being hit with 5G that we can prove, even if you just did 4G intensified, that that damages your immune system. But one of the reasons that I'm I'm thinking that the information is going to show this is why are the elderly dying faster than the young people? Why is a baby not seemingly it all susceptible whatever is going wrong well this constant bar- barrage of electromagnetic energy is it's like pouring water into a glass and finally it, go- it just can't hold anymore so you got people that have been living, the elderly have been living in this electromagnetic pollution thing with immune systems that by age are, are degrading anyway so right off the get go those would be your more susceptible beings if you've increased the damage. And one of the things that we know is happening is the satellite systems. You know, they want to put 20,000 up there, and last I heard, they had 15,000. If they engaged them on a worldwide basis, then that might have been the last kicker for a lot of people. And one of the the first places that they found that um, you got uh, an outbreak of the the supposed virus was in a nursing home in Washington State. And I have a friend that lives there, and I said, are they near 5G towers? Because they do have 5G coming into that area. And he said it's worse. He said the nursing home is situated between two main highways, and those highways have 5G tracking for the, you know, Fast Go Lane or whatever they call it there. Um so I think the more that it's looked at the more we're going to see the effects of the uh, the the essentially electromagnetic attack on our bodies and you said that you know people aren't dying you know in droves about this well number 1 brain cancers are now being re-diagnosed or re-categorized not as brain cancer but some kind of endocrine endocrine endo-
1: Endocrinopathy. Um,
0: yes. So <laughs> so that database is, you know, completely skewed. And the reason that I'm so on to that is my brother died of a brain tumor, directly attributable to the microwave cell phone things. But on top of that, we have the sixth extinction event, where the microorganisms in the soil, the insect community... Um, the birds are falling dead out of the sky in areas of 5G. We are losing our biosphere. And, you know, it doesn't matter if they put 5G in or not. The biosphere is is taking us down because it's it's di- just disintegrating under the effects of this stuff. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, you know, do you have any thoughts on anything I've said? You can dispute me if you want. <laughs> All right, so
1: I've been taking notes. Okay, so uh, it might be that 5G is making people uncomfortable enough to show up in the emergency room, but 5G is a mobile network, and to properly be uh, affected by it, you need a receiver. That would be your cell phone. So basically, if they just took the cell phone out of these patients' pockets, they would live without intubation, without uh, the ventilator. So what's happening is these people are showing up in the emergency room. Why they're showing up, I don't care. I mean, I don't know. I I really don't care. But the point is, whatever they're showing up with is not deadly. The doctor is killing them by putting them on the ventilator. And they have research for this in other countries where people show up, exact same syndrome, don't use a ventilator, 100% survival. And in um, New York City, 80% death rate with the ventilator. Old dying faster. Again, you have to be very precise with your words. So I looked into this. And they published a graph on uh, February 20th of the age-related deaths from COVID. And so you look at the age-related deaths for the older people, and it's identical to the age-related death using actuarial tables in the absence of COVID. People are dying faster. Older people are dying faster, but they're not dying any faster with COVID or without COVID. 80-year-olds die, and, you know, that's that. The young are not dying because they're not being taken, you know, they're not they're they're not being um, uh, taken to the doctor. Well, first of all, there's no virus, okay? Let's just let's be clear. All nursing homes are government facilities. They have they and they have intrinsically high death rates. It is very common for someone to take their old their loved one to a nursing home. They've been taking care of them lovingly at home, and they're just exhausted. They just want to take them to the nursing home, so the nursing home will take care of them, and they're dead in a week. So nursing homes have very high death rates. Again. What's happening here is people who are not COVID positive are being called COVID deaths. Also, the government gives nursing homes incentives to shorten the lives of the residents. All right. Brain cancers being renamed. The whole medical diagnosis thing is one renamed shell game. It just goes on all the time. And you can't really get sideways or even concerned about a disease being renamed. And that's why I focus on total deaths. So total deaths are down at least 35%, probably even more. So I think that's good news that should not be ignored. And again, all of this stuff, 5G, no 5G, has nothing to do with, is COVID contagious? Is it deadly? Not contagious, not deadly. Stop the house arrest. Simple. Now, 5G, another discussion, another time, unrelated. Maybe it's not good. That's fine. But that should not be conflated with COVID. In other words, someone should not need to believe all the 5G stuff, true or not, in order to understand COVID. COVID is very simple, very simple. Ain't no virus, ain't no death, ain't no contagious. That's it, very simple.
0: Well, it helps the person like myself who knows the true dangers behind the 5G because, I mean, they're destroying Themselves, the medical profession is destroying itself. Oh, absolutely,
1: absolutely, absolutely. And people are but,
0: waking yeah. up to this, and, and the last person to fall is the doctors. You know, I mean, we think of doctors think as being gods. I
1: mean, the last person to fall. What does that mean?
0: It, it fall being somebody I'm not going to trust because I mean, it's like oh. what every every time you turn around, there's somebody else has done something really screwy that you can't trust anymore. You know, oh, oh you know yeah, what I'm saying?
1: doctors don't matter. The doctors don't matter. That's another thing, So one thing I asked myself is why would they arrange a collapse that would involve taking out the hospitals and doctors? Because they could have arranged this. So the hospitals did not get taken out, but they didn't. They arranged it, so this would happen. It's because they have now got people to go online, diagnose themselves, buy a drug, take it, and kill themselves. So the hospitals and the doctors are not any longer
0: needed. Well, that's a bleak <laughs> assessment. Whoa. Well,
1: I mean, it's just direct. It's just direct. Whoever's running a show, they don't need to put someone through twelve, you know, twelve, thirteen years of MK Ultra conditioning. Um, put their thumb on them with debt and regulation and threats and and blah blah blah. It's a lot of trouble it takes to control a doctor. And um, now it's like, eh, we don't have to do it. We are going direct to the patients. They've got the patients going online. They've got the patients buying special um, cell phones that can do blood tests and monitor this and monitor that. And I have got people who are monitoring themselves into diabetic coma all by themselves without the doctor's help. They go online. They they, they test this. They test that. They've got their strips. They get their medicine. They follow the guidelines all by themselves and kill themselves. Like, hey, right. huh. bingo, victory, thumbs up. So what's happening now is the doctors are no longer necessary. Even the hospitals are no longer necessary. When you can get people to do that, and, and I, I you know people call me and make appointments all the time. Dr. Daniels, I'm trying to get my hemoglobin A1C down to 4. You're trying to kill yourself. Normal hemoglobin A1C is 6 to 6.5, somewhere in there. Well, I just want to be super healthy. I want to make it lower. I said, well, you're killing yourself. So now one other person is tired all the time, can't concentrate, can't focus. There's not enough blood circulating to feed their brain. But now that it got people into the whole hypochondria thing, where they they if they were healthy they wouldn't even know it, and they're looking for disease and they're looking for a drug to take and they're looking for a test to do. Um, there's there's no need for hospitals or doctors
0: or nurses. Okay, I'm not going to say the word, but it begins with a V, and they put it it, with a needle in your arm because I want this not to be taken down off of YouTube. Uh Um, But I'm assuming you have a very negative opinion of Vs.
1: Of getting tests?
0: No, of Vs. V-A-C. Like.
1: Oh, 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 oh. (laughs) See,
0: YouTube YouTube listens for certain words, and that's one Ah. of them.
1: Can we use the I-M-M-U-N-I-T-Y word?
0: Okay, yes. Go. Okay. All
1: right. So my favorite example is herpes. We have a, a, a virus, we're told, and it's herpes. That's what we're told. Herpes causes, let's list it, chicken pox, genital herpes, and shingles. You with me? Same same virus?
0: Right, right.
1: So if immunity really existed, if the body did indeed get an infection, make antibodies, and the body was now immune to future infection from that organism, then a person should get chickenpox and never get genital herpes and never get shingles, right? Right. That's not the case. They have chickenpox. They get vaccines for chickenpox. They get genital herpes. They're working on a vaccine for that. They have a shingles vaccine, and they're giving people vaccines for shingles. And of course, all the vaccines have boosters. Excuse me. But if immunity really existed, you would never need a booster, number one. But number two, when a person actually got chickenpox, they would not get genital herpes and they would not certainly get shingles. So the whole theory behind it is false. So there is no such thing as a V-A-C-C-I-N-E that works because the whole theory is fake. It's false. It's not true.
0: Okay. Um, Well, we're we're down to the last 10 minutes here. (laughs) Uh, um, But you believe what? I know you say, you know, we were going to believe him with hope. What's your hope? What what do you see happening that's a positive? I mean, the (laughs) fact that this information is coming out is amazing.
1: Right, but what do you do with it? What do you do with it, you know? Yeah. And when I had my little um, COVID event, when I lost my license, couldn't work, couldn't travel, blah, 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 I had to totally reinvent myself. I did reinvent myself. I'm very happy. I'm able to pay my bills. I have plenty of food to eat. I have lots of friends. I have a wonderful life. And um, everyone can take this opportunity to create that for themselves as well.
0: Yeah, every time a door shuts, there's a window open. And I've been well, looking...
1: The, the window was always open. They just never looked at it.
0: Well, where they looked at it, but they wouldn't go through it. <laughs> Correct. Correct. <laughs> you know? And I, 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 I'm I, telling people, yes, there's going to be a lot of changes. People's businesses are going to go under. You're going to change your job. But that doesn't mean that's a bad thing. No, you can either
1: create new businesses. Or I talked to one lady today. She realized, oh, I didn't even need the business at all anyway. <laughs> I, I'm living on a piece of land, growing my own food. I got everything I need. I didn't even need to work myself like that. This is out. Oh, I'm staying home.
0: <laughs> right, right.
1: So uh, people have time uh, to reflect. I also want to say I am 63 years old and at 63, I am now doing stretches. I can do my left front splits, my right front splits, my backwards bridge, I'm working on my center splits. So, oh, I ride bicycles. So there's a lot of stuff you can do that maybe you just didn't have time to do because you're too busy running in circles. And that's what I'm finding.
0: I hope they're finding themselves, because every human being is really, well, I don't know every human being, but I bet that there's a lot more good human beings than there are bad human beings. Let me put it to you that way. Well, not that. Yeah. How many about
1: many this? good everybody. Like my father, yes, he was a criminal, but he was really, you know, <laughs> he was a pretty good father. He took his responsibilities seriously. He did protect us, and he, you know, did his best to at least let us know uh, what our choices were. So I think in every, uh, maybe bad person, there is good. And many of us who consider ourselves good, and who doesn't, um, have benefited from the acts maybe of some people who were not so good. So I think, um, a, a lot of, uh, maybe humility would be in order. And for people who are inconvenienced by this, I mean, all of us are inconvenienced on some level, but who are devastated, let's say. Maybe it's time to not build a straw house. Maybe this time around you want to build a wood house or a brick house. In other words, maybe you want to take more responsibility for your food supply, your energy supply, or rethink your relationship to the people around you and, and how you meet your basic needs.
0: Sounds right to me. Yeah. So... um what else would you like to say? You want to leave a parting philosophy of how to get through the next little bit?
1: Yeah, really take it as an opportunity. Take it as an opportunity to redesign the next phase of your life. Because in the world, there have been a lot of times, like the Dark Ages, yeah, mm-hmm, and everyone who gave birth to you lived through the, you know, the, someone in your lineage lived through the Dark Ages. And of and this as the second coming of the Dark Ages, and you just have to figure out how you're going to live through it. How you're going to be happy? How you're going to be fulfilled? And so, the direction I'm going in with my online business is, I'm now going to um, develop a series of videos on what do you do to enjoy yourself and be happy and fulfilled at 63. You know, how do you get um, you know start doing splits or doing this or doing that or or just
0: enjoying life? In that website again, vitalitycapsules.com. Okay. What else? So, so you you actually have a products that you sell on the on the website? Yes, yeah, I have um,
1: vitality capsules, and, and they help you clean out your bile ducts, your liver, uh, promote circulation, rejuvenate your kidneys and your liver as well. And um, people have really just gotten great results with them. Their major claim to fame is they help you prepare your body so you can take turpentine. And turpentine in 1899 was a cure-all. It was literally listed in the Merck Manual as the cure for each and every disease. So while I was practicing medicine, I rediscovered turpentine, resurrected it, and um, discovered protocols and ways to use it. And that's all in the free report at my website at vitalitycapsules.com.
0: Well, I work with energies, and I was so impressed with what I was hearing from you that... I got my partner, Walt Silva, who makes these amazing things, and I said to him, hey, can you give me the frequency of turpentine? Mm-hmm. And so he sent it to me. It's a—it's based on Oregon and Shungite, and mm-hmm. um, he gave it to me. And I just love that. I, I i can't tell you. I mean, I love the energy. It's such a pure, yeah. it's a loving energy is what yeah. it is. and. I understand the 3D concept of even homeopathy and how that works. These energy d- devices do the same thing. And because it's Shungite, and if you haven't gotten into Shungite, you know, you really, it's it's a phenomenal uh, thing to understand. But when, you, when you're dealing with the energies of turpentine, I, I you, you basically, I can develop a sentient, sentience communication with, with the turpentine spiral. And Exactly. I can, I, you know, it's like, oh, my shoulder's bugging me. Can you fix it? You know? And, and I'll hear this, not, not even here. I'll immediately feel the, the energies, you know? But, yeah. um, there, it's so hard to explain to people that don't experience, you know, this sentience that's associated with plants and, uh, just, you know, minerals. And it's just, but if you got it, you got it. But the body works on love, that this militaristic, um, kill, kill, kill
1: thing I've been taught in medical school is totally false. All the turpentine does is it looks around the body and it says, okay, we love you. We love you. We love you. But it's time for you to leave right now. And you over here, yes, time for you to leave. Okay. You can stay. Mm, you leave. And that whole process results in people feeling immediately better. It's, 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 it's an incredible, positive feeling. So, um, people who are not in touch with that, actually, as they heal,
0: they get in touch with that. That makes sense, and I'm so glad that you've observed that, too. It's Give yourself permission to really find out what healing's all about.
1: Yeah, be open. Just be yeah. open.
0: Yeah. 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 Well, darling, we've done, you know, just under two minutes, two minutes, two hours. So would you like to... to you know, say goodbye to our audience because they are there. They might not be here right yeah, now, but they're there. Say
1: goodbye to everyone, and really, going forward, they say it's the best of times, it's the worst of times, it's your choice.
0: Yeah, all of yep. us. Yeah, we'll make the, we'll make the difference. Exactly. All right. So I'm going to end the show there, and I just want to again, Jennifer, thank you so much. You're in Palm Beach. Oh no no no. <laughs> That's just technology. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. No, because I'm in I'm in North Miami. Oh no no I don't I don't I
1: don't go on U.S. soil.
0: Oh okay, that's I thought that you know, yeah. but it was it was like, and this is a great signal too. I'm not going to ask you where you're at. <laughs>
1: Thank you. <laughs>
0: but um, yeah, I thought wow, Palm Beach, you know, it's just up the road for me. Yeah. But I I did question why you would be back in the states. So. Mm-mm. Anyway. Yeah. Listen, any time you want to come back out, um, get a hold of me, because I do have a number of different shows. Um, I suspect I'm going to... I don't know what I'm going to do with this one. I'm going to play it a lot. I'll tell you, I will play it a lot. (laughs) It will be up on YouTube, um, and I will send you the links just as soon as I get them done.
1: All right, awesome. Thank you.
0: And I'll send you a promo, so... I don't know, do you use Facebook or any of that stuff?
1: Oh, I try not to. Yeah.
0: Okay. All right. Okay. But um, again, just an honor to know you. And if you want, I'll send you one of those turpentine spirals so you can play with it yourself.
1: Oh, how much does it weigh?
0: How much does it weigh? It's very light. Oops. Okay. That's... No
1: problem. I have to pay for it. I have to pay for things I receive by the weight. Yeah, yeah. You can send it. To I'll get have, it,
0: I'll... they don't do it by the money. They do it by the weight.
1: Well, you can put a receipt in there saying it's $10 or something.
0: Oh, I'm going to give it to you. I'm not paying. No, we're just giving it to you. Oh, no, no,
1: no. But if you put a receipt in there saying it's $10, then they won't charge me anything, and they won't delay it demanding a receipt.
0: Okay, so I have to put a receipt in the box saying (laughs) that this is a $10 item. Uh Uh-huh, yes, 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 yes.
1: Then, um, yeah, so we don't have addresses here. Uh, There's no street addresses or street names or house numbers. Too. Okay,
0: why don't you put in the message here on Skype where, what I have to put on the package to get it to you?
1: Yes, I will do that. <laughs> and,
0: and it'll be coming from Walt Silva okay. in Minnesota, because he's the one that makes them, and I'll just have him send it directly to you.
1: All right, awesome. Thank you.
0: Yeah, I, I, think, you'll, I think you understand the energy. Well, you obviously understand the energies, and I think you'll find that these things are just super cool.
1: Wow. Okay. Awesome. Thanks. Thank you very much. I
0: appreciate that. One day I had a cat that was down and I didn't know what was happening. So, and I had a, a turpentine, I, I, you know, my terp, I call him terp. And I said, Turp, you know, stop doing what you're doing for me. And can you look at the cat? And he, and his voice comes and says, you think I can't do two things at once? You know, mm-hmm. that's when you know you've made that connection. When they say something you wouldn't have expected,
1: exactly. You know,
0: it's like I wouldn't have thought that way. Obviously, so um, yeah, yeah. But it's not doesn't weigh very much. Um,
1: oh, that's okay. It's okay because I get charged by the pound. So if it's under a pound, it's fine.
0: Oh yeah, it's under a pound. Easy.
1: Yeah, people try sometimes try and sell me, send me stuff that weighs like twenty pounds. I'm like, oh my god, no! It's so expensive. Please don't send me that stuff.
0: Right, right, right. No, no. All right, darling, be safe, and if there's anything I can ever do for you, you've got my number.
1: Okay, thanks civilian. bye
0: Bye-bye. Bye-bye.